Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 5, verses 33 to 42. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Thanks, Gaynor. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm an associate minister here at Christchurch Liverpool. And please do keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be talking to us for a few moments about that passage at the end of Acts chapter 5. Before we do that, you might want to just uh, take a moment to have a breather or get a drink or something to eat uh, to make yourself comfortable for this next bit. Or better still, something you can make notes to keep you listening. And while you do that, I'm just going to uh, remind us all that we are looking at the book of Acts, which is a New Testament book. And the book of Acts is all about the very first followers of Jesus. And we're finding, as we look in Acts, that being a follower of Jesus changes everything. We've called our series The New Normal because it means that things are different from now on. And the, the main thing that makes a difference is we saw in Acts chapter 2, God's people have the Holy Spirit. And that transforms us. And we've been seeing all kinds of ways that it makes people bold to speak about Jesus and changes us on the inside to live and love him. Uh, we're going to see in today's passage that one of the ways the Holy Spirit changes us is to help us to stop believing lies that lead us to fear of opposition and shame and that actually gives us that confidence in Jesus and what he is doing in the world so we can join in. But enough of that. We'll get there when we come to Acts chapter 5 just now. So hopefully you're back and ready to begin. This is God's word and we always need God's help when we come to try and understand what he is saying to us. So let's pray as we begin. Father God, please send your spirit Especially as we open up your word, your spirit speaks through your word. And so we want to hear your spirit and we want to hear what he is saying, what you are saying to us through your spirit, through your word. And Father, we pray that as you speak, our hearts would be in tune to you. And that this morning, we would not only listen, but open our hearts and be changed inside. And we pray this so that we would be people who 
here in Liverpool are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, who have confidence in him, who love him and who live and speak for him. And so we pray that through Acts 5 this morning, you would do that by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, when I was in my teens, I was often in sports teams and I played in quite a few football teams. But unfortunately, the football teams I played in weren't very good and we lost most of the matches we played in. It was a bit of a miserable ordeal. And there was one exception to my unhappy sports experience and that was when I played rugby for my local team in my local town called Mould Youth, the under-18s team of Mould Rugby Club. And it was different to anything else I'd experienced before because we kept winning everything. It was a really brilliant team to be a part of. The guys I was playing with were really, really good. And it was great to be able to turn up every week and, and just find that we were winning. It was a real privilege to be part of such a successful team. But even though we were winning every match, I would still get nervous before the games. I was nervous of the opposition. Uh, maybe they'd eventually be too good and they would win. Or maybe they'd try some dirty tricks and someone would get injured. I was nervous about my own performance. I thought, well, maybe I'm going to play badly. Maybe I'm just going to be a failure here. I was nervous about the, the shame and the disgrace that might bring if, if I was exposed to be the worst player on the team. And it is true that I might have been hurt by the opponent, or it is true that I might not have played well, but by the end of the day, I realised that those fears needn't have mattered because I could just trust my teammates because they were strong. They'd got my back and they were really, really good. And there was no stopping them. No matter my, what my performance was like, the other guys would see to it that we'd win. And when we won, we'd win together. So there was no shame or disgrace about my performance. I got to bask in the victory that they'd won for me. Well, we can find ourselves with the exact same fearful attitude when it comes to bringing up conversations with people around us about Jesus and our faith in him. We fear those same things, the opposition. We might fear that someone's going to come in with a really clever argument and, and, and bash us down. Or that in some situations, fear that someone's going to make a complaint. Or there might already be a rule uh, to say that in this place, we're not allowed to talk about faith things. Or we fear, fear failure. That if I talk about what I believe and offer it to this person, well, they might just dismiss it and say, well, it's for you, but not for me. Shut the door in your face. Or we fear shame. We recognise that it comes with the territory, that when you align yourself with Jesus and you start to share things about him, well, people will start to push you to the side, think weird things about you, make snide remarks, or give you a label. Now, yes, there will be opposition, and it might feel like failure when you're not seeing people believe, and there will be shame and embarrassment. But if you look deeper, you know, we can trust, just like with my rugby team, we can trust that we are part of something unstoppable. And we've got not a rugby team, but, but Jesus behind us. And it is in his great power and plan that we're going forward. He's got our backs and he's the one doing this. It can never fail. And that's particularly what this part of Acts that we're looking at today shows us. In Acts chapter 5, this end bit of Acts 5, it describes a time when on the surface level, things aren't going that well. 
And yet the author, a guy called Luke, he shows us that behind all the arrests and the warnings and the floggings, there's a deep truth. A deep truth that in this passage, even the opponents admit. And that's that there isn't anyone who can oppose what Jesus is doing in the world. And that means there's no such thing as failure when we speak about Jesus. And there's no such thing as disgrace for people who speak about Jesus. And there's two things that we're going to see in this passage. Number one, gospel mission will never be stopped. And number two, gospel messengers will never be disgraced. The first one is going to be a bit longer than the second, so don't you worry when we get to the second and we're further in. So let's start. Number one, gospel mission will never be stopped. We're going to pick up the passage um, from verse 33 where it began, but actually this whole passage is the end of a scene that began in the previous section. So let me just fill you in. In this part of Acts, the followers of Jesus and the 12 disciples, that they're called the apostles, they're teaching that Jesus died and rose again. And they can do that because they were eyewitnesses to it. They saw Jesus. And as they're teaching, they are also teaching from the Old Testament that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. And God is proving that to be true because he's doing miracles through those apostles. And people are believing. People are hearing this, it's making sense. They're hearing the eyewitness testimony and they're having the proof in the miracles. And so they are coming to trust in Jesus and relate to God through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit who's with them. And crucially, not through the existing religious structures, the temple and the priests. And that is making the leading religious figures quite jealous. So they arrest the apostles and they warn them that they're not to preach about Jesus. Now, just before this passage, the apostles were arrested and they were put in prison. But God bust them out again and got them out in the temple courts preaching the exact same message. Now, when they were in prison for that short time, the, the, the Jewish leaders, the religious figures at the time, formed a council called the Sanhedrin. And they were getting ready to get into session so they could put the apostles on trial. Apostles, of course, didn't turn up. They weren't in prison, but they found them. They located them anyway, and they rearrested them and brought them in to put them on trial. And they warned them again not to speak about Jesus. But Peter said, listen, we've got to obey God and not you. And he went on to explain that, well, they were themselves eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus really is the one who fulfills and completes their religion. And it's when he says that in verses 30 and 31 and 32, it's that that enrages the council that we get in verse 33. See verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. Now in that context, now you can maybe see why they'd want to put them to death. Because nothing else had worked. They'd warned them. They'd arrested them. They'd put them in prison. But God just breaks them out. And miracles are happening everywhere and people keep believing. No matter what you do to these guys, you just can't seem to keep the Jesus message down. It's like getting a beach ball and trying to push it under the water and keep it down. The moment you let go, it just bursts back up again. And you could try it a second time, but well, it's going to be just as ineffective as the first time. No matter how hard you push that beach ball, no matter how many times you do it, it's just going to burst back up again. And so they figured that by this time, there's no other option but to kill them. 
if they're going to stop all this Jesus business. And it's at this point from verse 34 that Luke, our author, gives us a little behind the scenes look at what is going on in this Sanhedrin court meeting. Because what they come to realise, the Sanhedrin, is something profoundly encouraging for any Christian who gets to overhear. People like us, if we want to keep on speaking about Jesus today. We're going to hear a sort of defence speech in the defence of the apostles. And it's by a leading figure that we're introduced to in verse 34 called Gamaliel. But what he's going to say, he doesn't, he's not going to say, hey guys, I think they're right. Let's listen to them. He's going to apply a sort of logic test to weigh up the pros and cons of whether they should kill the apostles or not. So let's tune in. Let's uh, eavesdrop a little bit. Here's how it goes from verse 36. He brings up two case studies. Number one, Theudas. Some time ago, Theudas appeared. And Gamaliel explains that Theudas was the leader of a cult following called the Theudians. We don't know if that's what they were really called. Let's just call them that for now. There were 400 Theudians, and they probably hailed Theudas as some sort of messiah. But Gamaliel points out the fact that Theudas, he was killed. And so all of his followers, those 400 people, well, they were left leaderless and they just, they left. They were scattered. And it all came to nothing. Okay, second case study, Judas the Galilean. Largely the same. He was the figurehead of a movement. He had lots of followers as well. But the end result was the same. He too, verse 37, was killed and all his followers were scattered and it all came to nothing. Do you see a pattern emerging? Leader killed, followers scattered, end result, nothing. And so his conclusion is there in verses 38 and 39. In the present case, if Jesus is just another pretender, another cult leader, well, you know the pattern. We've killed him. We don't need to stop them. It'll run its course. But if he really is who they say he is, well, you do realise we can't stop it then. And that is this behind-the-scenes perspective that Luke wants us to overhear. Now, the apostles weren't privy to this conversation. So remember, on the surface, this is the key leaders of the Christian movement coming towards their end. But do you see, Luke says, look deeper. I'll show you what's going on behind the scenes. And you'll see that this mission of the gospel going out, it's God-originated. It doesn't depend on you. It's him who's doing it. And so that means it can never be stopped. I think there's two things about that, at least two things that we can be encouraged by. Firstly, we can be encouraged that what we hold out as the gospel really is genuine and it is of God. It's revealing to us that in those days there was, it was nothing new to hear somebody proclaim themselves as Messiah and Lord or gain a big following of people. I mean, there were lots of pretenders and revolutionaries. And, you know, many people today think Jesus was one of them. Just a popular rabbi whose philosophies still sound roughly helpful to us today, and that's what Christianity is all about. 
Okay, let's apply Gamaliel's test then. Feudus, killed. Followers, scattered. Nothing. Judas the Galilean, killed. Followers, scattered. Nothing. Jesus, he was killed. But do you see there's a difference? His followers say he's actually still alive. They're not going about without a leader. So the followers, well, they are persecuted and they're scattered. And yet when they're scattered, they're taking with them the news that Jesus really is alive. He, he's not dead and he's actually doing miracles among them. And that's where Jesus is in the book of Acts. He's working through the apostles doing miracles. And then the end result of that isn't that it fizzles out. It's not the the end. This is the beginning of the growth of the worldwide church. We can look back at 2,000 years of history and it dawns on us that Jesus isn't the next in line of the cult followers, uh, cult leaders, the pretender, the fraud. Jesus is someone different. He really is from God. Now, if you're watching this today and you're not a Christian, what do you think about that claim? What do you think of this idea that if Jesus was just another rabbi with a following, then we'd be talking about him like Feudus and like Judas the Galilean, and, and he'd just be a footnote in history who by now has fizzled out. Have you wondered why Jesus has stuck around so long? Is it because what's going on here is not some ancient rabbi who's died but his memory carries on, but that this is of God. Could it be that Jesus did rise again? Could it be that this never ended because Jesus didn't die a second time? Do you think because of that, we're onto something here that can't fail? Would you consider listening to the message of God that can never be stopped? And that idea that this can never be stopped, that's a second thing that encourages us when we overhear Gamaliel. Think back to my rugby team. When we're part of something that, that can never be stopped, when what we're doing is driven forward by someone who cannot fail, well, then that means that we have no need to shrink back in fear and worry. We look around us and churches in our city may be less full today than they were 100 years ago, but believe this, the gospel isn't suddenly going to fail in our generation. We're not fighting a losing battle here. The gospel's not going to stop in any generation. That's not, going to, that's not to say that we're always going to feel massive success whenever we share our faith with somebody. But it is to say that it's God's plan that the message of Jesus will always go out. It'll be preached anywhere there are Christians. So here we are, Christians in Liverpool. So there's no stopping the gospel going out in Liverpool. That should encourage us. And if it's true, we'd be very much mistaken if we think that if the gospel can't stop, well, that means that we don't need to do anything about it. I remember I was once in the biggest traffic jam in the world. You think you've been in a long traffic jam? Try eight hours. I was in France and it was winter and we were stuck on a motorway and it was, it was one of those where it was just basically like being stuck in a car park. You turn your engine off. You'd get out, you'd have a stretch, you'd kick a football around, you could have your dinner out of the boot and still nothing's changed. And eventually we got to the point where we decided to do what everyone else was doing. We'd get out onto the hard shoulder, make it down to the nearest exit and basically give up. 
And we managed to find a McDonald's. And at the McDonald's, we got on our phones and we were looking at the, the travel news, trying to find out what had happened. And also from there, we could see the road just completely backed up. And it wasn't very nice in there. It was crowded. There was a huge queue for the toilet. Everyone was doing what we were doing. So we just sat there and kept on filling up coffee from the machine and grabbed a snack. But eventually, we saw out of the window that the motorway had cleared. For the first time in eight hours, there was traffic. They were moving, we could see them, they were moving fast. And we realized, hey, there's nothing stopping us now. Let's go, let's get in the car and go on our holiday. And you see, that's how Luke wants us to respond when we read that nothing can stop the plan of God to spread the news of Jesus. We're not supposed to say, hey, well, God's got this plan and nothing's gonna stop it, so let's just sit back and put our feet up. I mean, we didn't say in France, oh, look, the motorway is moving, nothing's stopping us, so let's hang on a while in a crowded, sweaty McDonald's and grab another Big Mac to pass the time. If we see that what God is doing, bringing the gospel into Liverpool, and if we see it can't be stopped, then we wanna get on board. We wanna say, hey, I'm part of this. I'm gonna be part of what God is doing unstoppably in my city, and I'm gonna live and speak for Jesus. And even if it doesn't feel like a success, I mean, remember, the apostles here, they're in handcuffs, and they're standing in front of a court. Luke is showing us this behind the scenes so that we look deeper. And we find that the truth is that even a court of people who are trying to oppose the gospel, even they admit that there's nothing they can do to stop the gospel going out. It means that it's actually a lie that we tell ourselves when we think that speaking the gospel might be a failure. It's a lie that we tell ourselves when we tell ourselves that facing opposition is going to stop people from hearing about Jesus. It's a lie that we need to let this passage address because there is no stopping this thing. So there goes the fear of failure, there goes the fear of opposition. But as this passage ends from verse 40 onwards, we also find that even our fear of disgrace is dealt with. Because even disgrace for the sake of spreading the name of Jesus is not disgrace. And that is the second thing we're coming to in this passage, that gospel messengers will never be disgraced. Gospel messengers will never be disgraced. From verse 40, we leave our behind the scenes look at the Sanhedrin and we're going back into what the apostles see. So they're brought back in. They don't know what the verdict is going to be. And it turns out that it's not going to be death but it's gonna be flogging. Now, flogging. You don't walk away from a flogging. You're leaving an ambulance. There's a thing called, uh, there was in those days, a thing called 40 lashes minus one. The idea was that 40 lashes with a whip was enough to kill a man. And so by doing 40 lashes minus one, you'd be whipping someone to within one lash of their life. Now, we don't know that that's definitely what these guys had, but you can see then, it's a serious thing. After this, they can't lie on their backs. They can't sleep properly for weeks. Any movement of their arms or legs is just going to open up those wounds. 
they're not going to be in a fit state to preach for a long, long time. And they've been subject to this, this criminal's torture publicly. And they are stripped down, lying on the floor, bleeding, gasping for breath, in absolute agony. And it's then that the leaders lean over them and threaten them, don't you dare ever speak the name of Jesus in our temple ever again. And the apostles leave the flogging, publicly humiliated, treated like criminals, beaten like animals, in full view of everyone, publicly shamed, disgraced. And yet, again, let's look closer, because we find that, well, from their perspective, there's no such thing as disgrace when you're speaking about Jesus. Verse 41, the apostles rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. For them, being disgraced like that in full view of everyone was, was following footsteps of the Jesus that they adored. And so for them, that was an honor. Whatever the consequences of speaking for Jesus, it may be a disgrace on the human level, but look deeper, and it is an honor to be part of this unstoppable thing that God is doing in the world. Now, I confess that I was willing to take a broken nose for the sake of my rugby team. I was more willing to take a broken nose for the sake of the rugby team than, than I was to take some name calling for the sake of Jesus. And you know, I'd have rejoiced at having the broken nose so that I could have played my part in being part of this unstoppable and wonderful team. But when we see the apostles here, it hits home to us that that's what it's like for them, except better. Being part of what Jesus is doing in the world is such an honor, such a joy, that disgrace for doing that isn't really disgrace at all. It's a privilege. There's an irony that, the, that chapter five ends in contrast to how chapter five began. Chapter five began with a couple called Ananias and Sapphira, and they wanted human honor. And so that made them lie about how godly and generous they were to look good in front of people. They bought into the lie that human honor was worth something. And they then had the ultimate disgrace because they were judged by God. And chapter five ends with the apostles and they've got it the other way around. They've got it the right way around. They have rejected the lie that human praise is worth anything. And they realize that disgrace from people for the sake of joining in with what God is doing. Well, that is not disgrace at all. That's the privilege that is theirs for being part of God's unstoppable mission. Well, the disciples here are clearly great examples. But Matty was right last week, if you heard that sermon, that, that the disciples are not the heroes here. You see, they're not just taking the credit for themselves. They are delighting because they're servants in the service of an unstoppable king. So I'm not going to stand here and tell you to be more like the disciples, as if they're the ones we follow. 
I'm not going to tell you to, to be like them and be bold and suffer complaints and humiliation for what you say about Jesus. It's not to do with us trying to be like the disciples. This has got to do with whether we see the gospel mission like Luke shows it to us here in this passage. The question is, what do you think of the gospel? The, the news about Jesus' death and resurrection and forgiveness of sins and new life with God. What do you think of that? Do you think that Jesus is like Judas and Judas the Galilean? That he's a teacher whose who's teaching has stuck around, unlike any of the others? Or do you think he's from God? If you think he is from God, then do you think the gospel might fail somehow as you tell it? Or it'll be stopped by people who don't like it? Because yes, it's a message from God, but God may trip up on the way. Well, if you do believe that God is behind it and that he cannot be stopped, then what's it like to be part of a divine mission with a divine message of real hope and truth? Is it an honour? Is it our joy to speak and announce that to the world? Or is human praise more valuable? I wonder how, how much more fruitful my witness to Jesus would be if I thought of him like I remember my rugby team. Unstoppable, cannot fail, he's doing it, not me, and it's an honour to be part of it. I realise as I look at this passage that I need to stop believing those lies that bring fear of opposition and fear of failure and fear of disgrace. And my prayer is that God's Holy Spirit would so fill all of us that seeing his work here in Acts 5 would give us the confidence that God's gospel mission will never be stopped and God's gospel messengers will never be disgraced. Let's pray. Father God, please give us your spirit to transform us like we saw in this early church. Your spirit was making disciples who just knew about the gospel, who just knew that Jesus is the real deal that Jesus is unstoppable, that this is your plan and your message will get out to the whole world no matter what. And what an honour it is to be part of that. Lord, we want to be living in light of that. We want to be your people here today in Liverpool. And we want to be people, your people, who, who have that confidence that your gospel will never be stopped. Lord, please give us that confidence and, and get us out so that we can be aware that as we speak, it's not failing, that your gospel will go out in Liverpool and we can be part of your plan. And Father, give us that confidence that rejection by people because of your gospel gives us that opportunity to, to follow Jesus in that and, and to rejoice that well, your gospel is going forward and we can be counted worthy to suffer for it. Lord, give us that confidence because we know that the gospel is true and we know that Jesus has got this all covered and we know that his message is great news for the world. Father, we pray that you'd address us deep in our hearts, that we would 
stop believing those lies. Uh, that would be the motivation deep within us to reject the lies that we think and to believe the truth that you are in such control that your gospel message can't be stopped and your messengers will never be truly disgraced for speaking about you. Go with us, we pray, Father, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.